You're listening to the Historical Bookworm Show. For lovers of history and readers of inspirational fiction, join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews. Hi, this is Kylie Woodley. And Darcy Fournier. On today's episode, Amanda Cabot joins us for a chat about her latest release, After the Shadows. On our Pinch of the Past, we take a look at the largest earthquake in California's recorded history, which was comparable to the 1906 San Francisco quake. Finally, for our bookworm review, Grace Hitchcock shares her review of Remember Me by Tracy Peterson. Amanda Cabot is the best-selling author of several historical and contemporary romance series, including Mesquite Springs, Simmering Creek Trilogy, Texas Crossroads, Texas Dreams, and Westward Winds. Her books have been finalists for the ACFW Carroll Awards, the Holt Medallion, and the Booksellers Best. She lives in Wyoming. Amanda, welcome back to the Historical Bookworm Show. Darcy, thanks so much for inviting me. It was fun last year, and I'm delighted to be back. Yes, I'm glad that you could come again. And I actually missed your interview last year because I was traveling and then Kylie is at a conference today. So I get to interview you today. So I'm glad that that I could. But to start out with uh, something personal, I mean, you're a writer with several books under your belt, but other than writing, what do you do for fun? Well, you mean besides reading? Because I can't imagine <laughs> can't imagine a world without books. Um, I do a number of things, but one of the most fun things is I'm a knitter, and I have started designing my own sweaters. I take pieces from a pattern that I like, pieces from another one, put them together into something that's totally unique. And for me, that's fun. And it's also relaxing, which is good. Oh, that is so cool. I've done a little bit of knitting, but never so far as to try to like make my own sweaters or anything. Something about having all those loops open at once is a bit much for me. So I can follow a basic pattern, but that's it. That sounds like a really cool like art form. And it's fun, as I said. It's fun. Yeah, fun and relaxing. Now, you mentioned, of course, that you're a reader. I guess all writers are readers. But if you could choose one single fictional character from your favorite story to come to life... Who would it be? Anne Shirley from the Anne of Green Gables series. I want to meet her because I think she'd be a real kindred spirit. Oh, good choice. Good choice. What do you think you would like to ask her? Like what question maybe wasn't answered in the book that you'd like to ask her? (laughs) Why it took her so long to admit that Gilbert was the one she really (laughs) loved. (laughs) She was rough on him. And it's interesting. In the movies, they sort of speed it up a little bit. But in the books, it was like she was at college for four years before she finally realized. (laughs) Yeah, it was a long time. Oh, they're such a great couple, though. I, I love it. And she's she is such a good character. She's quirky and fun, but she's also really kind, except in the area of poor Gilbert and other people who, you know, might gain her grudge. She's actually a very kind heart. By the way, have you ever been to to Prince Edward Island? Oh, I did get a chance to go back in 2015. It was in October and they had like three cold rainy days, but it was still gorgeous. Have you been? Oh, I've been there a couple times. And what I love about it is people there act as if Anne was real. I mean, you can't tell anyone that she was just a character in a series of books. I mean, they're convinced that she actually lived there. 
Oh, that is awesome. You know, I don't know if I noticed that so much. I mean, like I didn't go during the height of tourist season. So a lot of stuff is actually closed. But that is so cool that she's just become like almost a historical figure in Prince Edward Island. Exactly. (laughs) Well, as you've been writing for a while now, what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned during your time as a writer? Patience. You know, the publishing world moves. Sometimes it feels like it's at glacial speed. Other times it's at warp speed. But what I've had to learn is that things don't move at the speed I would have chosen necessarily. And so I need to be patient that things can take longer than I might want. And uh, it's been a good lesson for me to learn, actually. Mm. And not always the most fun one, but a, a good lesson. Yes, I I published my novel independently, partly because I was like, I, I don't want to wait any longer. But yeah, I've definitely had those seasons of my life where it feels like you're just sitting there waiting and waiting for the next thing to happen. When you know it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen for who knows how long, I feel like that's even harder than not knowing what's coming. Well, right now, everything's moving at warp speed because instead of having my books come out once a year, they're now coming out closer together. So here are the first of the Sweetwater Crossing books will be released on March 21st. The second one is coming out October 3rd of this year. And then the third one will be out in July of next year. So I'm doing publicity for the first book. I've just finished the second round of edits, and I'm waiting for page proofs on the second one. Plus, some of the promo work has already started on that. And I'm finishing the second draft of writing the third one. So this is where... I mean, I've got a lot of books going on at the same time. Oh, wow. I guess you're fully immersed in that series world, so that's good. But do you have any trouble like crossing up the stories as you're you know, doing edits on one and drafts on the other? Or Well, I'm trying not to. <laughs> but I have to tell you, there are times when it's a challenge. It's like, so which book am I writing now? <laughs> For sure. Well, I guess you can always... Um, As you're going along on that third one, maybe you get ideas of things to foreshadow in the first one. I don't know. But yeah, I feel like working on that many at once, wow, what a shift in gears, you know? It can be a little crazy at times. But but good crazy. And I'm sure your readers are going to be very excited that they're not going to have to wait three years for this series to come out. I mean, you know, March to July, that's only what, 15 months? This is great for them. It's great for them. Three books in 15 months. Yep. Yep. Well, is there anything especially interesting that you haven't covered in other interviews that you could share with us? Or perhaps there's something that God has laid on your heart that you'd like to share with your readers? Yeah. After the shadows, um, one of the lessons that the characters in there learn, and I think it's a really important one, is to do what you know is right, even when it's not what other people want you to do even when you're getting a lot of criticism for it, you need to be true to yourself and be true to what is right. And that's what my characters do, and it's what I think all of us need to do. It's interesting how much people talk about peer pressure with their kids and with their teens, and then you get up to be an adult and you discover that adults still have tons of expectations on them as well. And it can be so easy to just kind of bend yourself to what everyone else thinks you should be doing or thinks is the best course of action when you actually know that something else is better. Mm -hmm. 
That's a good one. Well, and I like stories like that because watching these characters overcome things and learn how to do what's right in spite of what everyone else thinks is very inspiring for me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking about this story and more about these characters. So let's go ahead and dive in. Emily Leland does not grieve when she learns that her abusive husband was killed in a bar fight. She is more than happy to leave the nightmare of her life behind and return to her childhood home, but the homecoming is far different from what she expected. First, she discovers that her father has died under mysterious circumstances. Then she learns that the house where the new school teacher and his son were planning to live has burned to the ground, leaving them homeless. To add to the mix, her family is facing financial ruin. As a last effort, Emily proposes that she and her sister turn their family home into a boarding house. But her sister wants no part of this venture and leaves town. Alone and broke, Emily moves forward with her plans for the boarding house, taking on the schoolmaster, Craig Ferguson, and his son as boarders. The widowed father proves to be an unexpected ally. Not only is he a devoted father and an innovative teacher, but as their friendship grows, Craig is determined to help her get to the bottom of her father's death. Can they work together to unmask a killer and escape the shadows of their own past in order to forge a brighter future? So we have a suspicious death, a homeless teacher, and a woman with deep family ties running a boarding house. Looks like After the Shadows is going to be a great start to this series as far as intrigue goes. So what is the connecting element for all of the books in this series? Well, there are actually two. Um, this is the first time where I've had three sisters as heroines and having them all play active roles. And the relationships among the sisters are important. It's one of the things that ties it together. The other thing is um, this series is called The Secrets of Sweetwater Crossing. And there are individual secrets in each book. Uh, in the first one, it's obviously who killed Emily's father. But there is an underlying secret that the answer is not revealed until the third. And that is what happened? to the man who built the house, who built Finley House. If you look at the cover, you see this gorgeous house, which isn't what you would expect in the hill country. And there's a whole story behind it uh, about how it was built. Basically, this man from Alabama wanted to move to Texas and to bring his fiancée with him. And her father, who was a plantation owner, said, no, son, you can't take her unless you can provide a house that's equivalent to what she has here. So Clive Finley goes to Sweetwater Crossing, builds this house that would be much more at home in Alabama than it is in Texas. And everything is ready for him to go back and get his fiancée. Then the war between the states begins. He leaves abruptly. Everyone assumes that he has just gone back to Alabama to fight with his countrymen. But maybe that's not what really happened. Ooh. And so this house is now where Emily is living and it has all these secrets she doesn't know about. Well, I mean, everyone in town assumes they know what happened to Clive until you get to book three. <laughs> until you get to book three. Oh, nice. Nice. Book three changes the whole story. And I won't say any more now because... We can't give away the secrets, can we? We can't give away the secrets. you got to discover them in the books with the characters. Oh, but that sounds good. That sounds really good. And I love that you have three sisters for the connecting element in the books. I'm actually one of three sisters, and uh, I, I just think it's 
the relationship between sisters is so cool. It can be very hard and very strained sometimes. I've definitely seen that. But it can also be a great opportunity to support one another. And Emily Leland is the oldest daughter in a blended family. So how how does that influence her character? Well, as the firstborn, she has certain characteristics. Um, she's used to being in charge. She And while she wouldn't say she's bossy, her sisters might have another opinion. Uh, she doesn't like surprises. And she basically feels that she's responsible for everything that's going on. She's clearly responsible for the house, Finley House. She wants to be responsible for her younger sisters and for their their happiness. And, you know, they're adults now. So they don't necessarily think they need her help. But she, of course, thinks they do, <laughs> which is why uh, book one has the has her becoming estranged from her youngest sister. Louisa just is, is a typical youngest sister, a little bit spoiled, and things aren't going her way. So she says, I'm out of here. And she heads off to Cimarron Creek for a while. Oh, wow. You talk about this with such accuracy. It's as if you've lived it. Do you have sisters or something? <laughs> Yeah, I'm the oldest of four children, and there are three girls and one boy. So yes, I'm well aware of what it's like to be. Yes, you've got great experience to draw from. It was just funny when you're describing the oldest, because I'm like, when you say she doesn't think she's bossy, but her sisters might have a different opinion. I'm thinking of my two younger sisters and and how their opinions of me sometimes differ from Mm -hmm. my own perceptions (laughs) of myself. Um, (laughs) That sounds really cool, though, because... As siblings are children, um, and then they transition into being adults, it's a little bit different because, yeah, suddenly uh, the youngest doesn't want to be taken care of anymore and, frankly, may not need it. And the oldest has to learn how to let that go. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, we know that Craig, the hero in this story, is a father and a schoolmaster. What makes him most intriguing? He is very modern for his time uh, as a schoolmaster. He has innovative ideas, well, things that we wouldn't consider strange now, but that were definitely not the norm for teaching in the 19th century. He takes his pupils outside. Oh. You know, he conducts class under a tree. (laughs) They go, uh, the the kids think it's great. The parents have another idea. Mm. He also does not believe in 19th century discipline for misbehavior. He doesn't have a dunce chair in the schoolroom, and he does not cane his students. Mm. Uh, Again, parents aren't so sure about this. And then probably most shocking of all, he believes that everyone is entitled to an education. And that includes a girl who is, well, she's disabled. She is slow to learn, and she's been kept at home, but she wants desperately to be educated And he realizes he wants to educate her. And so he does. And again, faces a lot of pressure. But he won't back down. Oh, wow. I'm liking this character already. His style, taking kids outside, it makes me think of of Charlotte Mason's uh, writings on how, how school ought to be done. You know, less bookwork, more time outside and things like that. 
but yes, no doubt in the you know very traditional Texas town where he is, he's going to get looked at like he has three heads. But uh, well, it comes back to what I talked about before, where the characters are doing what they know is right, even though it's their stance isn't popular. I mean, Craig has his own style of teaching, and Emily will not believe anyone when they say. Your father killed himself. She says, no, he didn't. I don't care what it looks like. I am going to prove that this was not suicide. Oh, wow. That is cool. And honestly, the fact that these two are almost outsiders, at least in in the sense that they are different from other people, is going to probably make them a pretty good team because they'll, they'll at least have in common the fact that no one seems to be willing to look at their point of view. While you were talking about the three books that you are working on now, so give us just a tiny teaser for the next book that's coming out in October. Well, we have Louisa. She is the youngest of the three Vaughn sisters. Her lifelong goal has been to be a doctor. And you know, that wasn't easy for women in the 19th century. But as I said, she has a spat with Emily. She leaves. She goes to Cimarron Creek, which readers will recognize as one of my previous series. And there she hooks up with the doctor and the midwife, and she learns a lot. She's not a fully qualified doctor at this point, but she's she has to come back to Sweetwater Crossing for a reason I don't want to go into now, but she has to. And on the way back, she finds this man literally in the middle of the street. He has, his horse has thrown him. The horse has disappeared. He's lying there with a badly broken leg, suffering from dehydration, possibly heat stroke. Well, obviously, she can't leave him in the street. Well, she and the woman she's traveling with get him into the buggy. They take him to Sweetwater Crossing where she sets his leg. But her plan to only stay there for a couple days is destroyed because she can't leave him with his leg in a cast. I mean, she's the only, there's no doctor in town at this point. She's the only one who can take care of him. So this is how our hero and heroine meet. Oh, nice. I mean, not nice for him that he broke his leg, but very nice that an almost doctor found him. So I like it. And that will give her an opportunity to also show her sister that she's capable of pursuing her dreams as well. Well, and not just her sister, but the townspeople. I mean, when you think about it, there's the story about, you know, profit in his own town. Well, you know, somebody, a woman coming back to her town and saying, okay, I'm a doctor. They're like, I don't think so. We knew you, we watched you growing up. You can't possibly be a qualified doctor. Guess what? Absolutely. So that once she, you know, goes to school and gets her full training, she can come back and they've already seen her at work. So she gets a chance to build that trust. So that sounds really cool. And so the, then the last book will be about the middle sister, I'm guessing. Yeah, she's in, as the first two books take place, she is in Europe. She is a musician, a pianist, and she is studying with maestros there to be a concert pianist. But, well... Life doesn't turn out exactly the way she had it planned. Well, these sound really cool. I'm looking forward to this series, and uh, I'm, I'm always attracted to books set in Texas, so this sounds really cool. 
For our listeners, Amanda is offering a copy of After the Shadows. To enter to win our giveaway, check out the giveaway page on our website, historicalbookworm.com, and you will also find a link to the giveaways in the show notes for this episode. And Amanda, where can listeners learn more about you? Uh, My website. I call it one-stop shopping. It's www.amandacabot.com. It has information about my books. It has sign up for my newsletter. Uh, It has information for aspiring writers. As I said, one-stop shopping. Nice. I love that you include the stuff for aspiring writers. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I have really enjoyed discussing this story with you. I'm visiting with you. This has been fun. And again, Darcy, thanks so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Now for a pinch of the past. For today's pinch of the past, Darcy is not able to join me. So I am going to share with you a little bit about some research I've been doing actually for a book that I'm planning. So today we're looking at a powerful quake that rocked the American West, or at least two states in the American West, Nevada and California. In 1872, the people of Owens Valley woke up at 2.30 in the morning to a shaking and a roaring. This earthquake was estimated to be a level 7 to 8. Now we're looking at the people of Lone Pine. This was a town just a few miles from Mount Whitney, which is the highest peak in the continental United States. The small town is also located between the Inyo and Sierra Mountains, both of those running each side. Interesting enough, the Inyo means dwelling place of great spirit in the Paiute Native American language. And there were two fault lines actually that ran the base of those mountains. And I imagine for the Native American culture, it would make sense that, you know, it's the valley of a great spirit with the type of volcanic activity that was taking place. So an important item to note, as far as Lone Pine goes, nearly all of the buildings, which were mainly constructed of adobe, collapsed. There's an estimate that there was 200 to 300 inhabitants at the time, 27 are known to have perished and 52 of the 59 houses were destroyed. One report states that the main buildings were thrown down in almost every town in Aino County. So at the time, naturalist John Muir was living in what is now Yosemite National Park. There were giant rock slides that woke him from his sleep and he ran out of his cabin shouting, a noble earthquake! And then he promptly made a moonlight survey of the fresh talus piles. Uh, Talus being an outward sloping and accumulated heap or mass of rock fragments of any size or shape, typically laying at the base of a cliff or a very steep rocky slope. The earthquake stopped clocks and awakened people in San Diego to the south, Red Bluff to the north, and Elko, Nevada to the east. The shock was felt all over California and much of Nevada. Thousands of aftershocks occurred in the days following that. Now, as far as the aftermath of the earthquake, the earthquake itself formed a small garden that later filled by water forming the 86-acre Lake 
Diaz. It also changed the course of the River Owens and created huge quake scarps, some up to 20 feet high. There's actually a historical marker in Lone Pine, and it is called the Grave of the 1872 Earthquake Victims. It reads, on March 26, 1872, a major earthquake shook Owens Valley, nearing destroying the town, nearly destroying the town of Lone Pine. About 14 of its victims, the exact number is not known, were entered in a common grave enclosed by this fence. So you can actually go to that that site there. They also have what is the, I believe, the only remnants of any of the adobe structures. And that was a wall of a mercantile and that also has a plaque for the California Historical Landmark. So there is just a little bit of history about a pretty powerful earthquake. I don't know about you or where you're living, but I am in the Pacific Northwest. And when I was a kid, we regularly had earthquake drills. And now I am moving down to Texas. And so my kids will have their tornado drills. It's just such an interesting reminder of how no matter where we go, we see the different types of, oh, just powerful occurrences in nature. To me, although they can be just terribly destructive and devastating, what an example of how great God is that he created nature that is capable of these things. How great and how terrifying. Time for our bookworm review. For today's bookworm review, we are joined by none other than historical author Grace Hitchcock. She will be sharing a review of Remember Me by Tracy Peterson. Addie Bryant is haunted by her past of heartbreak and betrayal. After her beau, Isaac Hansen, left the Yukon, she made a vow to wait for him. When she's sold to a brothel owner after the death of her father, Addie manages to escape with the hope that she can forever hide her past and the belief that she will never have the future she's always dreamed of. Years later, Addie has found peace in her new life as a photographer, training camera girls to operate and sell the brownie camera. But during the Alaska-Yukon Pacific Expo in Seattle, Addie is reunited with Isaac. And when her past catches up with her, Addie must decide whether to run or to stay and face her wounds in order to embrace her life, her future, and her hope in God. Best-selling author Tracy Peterson pins a tender tale where forgiveness, faith, and love conquer all. Hi, I'm Grace Hitchcock. I'm a historical fiction author and an avid reader. I've been a huge fan of Tracy Peterson's for a very long time, and uh, it's my pleasure to read y'all my review for Remember Me. Remember Me is a moving tale of tragic upbringing, healing, and redeeming love. With the stunning backdrop of Alaska Yukon Pacific Expo in Seattle, Tracy Peterson explores the question of why God allows horrible things to happen to good people. The question and the answer are expertly woven into her story that keeps the reader rooting for Addie, the heroine, who is attempting to outrun a bitter and tragic past, even if it means leaving behind the man she has loved since her girlhood. With a hero's unconditional love, a mother figure's guiding hand, and the Lord's redeeming love, Addie finds freedom in Christ to release the ugliness of a past 
that have been thrust upon her and embrace a future filled with hope and love. My rating for this book is five stars. It's action-packed, great world-building, haunting, happily ever after, page-turner, romantic, it's a tear-jerker, tragic, unpredictable, has wonderful characters, and original. Remember Me is a story that I will remember for years to come. I would like to include a trigger warning for violence. If you love historical fiction rich in setting and voice, please check out Tracy Peterson's book today. Thank you so much, Grace. Where can readers connect with you? They can find me on my website at gracehitchcock.com. And from there, if you sign up for my newsletter, I am most active there with all my bookish updates. And I usually have some fun giveaways. You've been listening to the Historical Bookworm Show, where history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.